and the force that you sort of project out there into the universe where you know and, and, and the, the the kind of the light and the aura around you when you're living at when you when your inside is actually on the outside when you're when your soul and when your identity where your uniqueness is actually living on the outside then all of a sudden that that has the ability to sort of connect with my soul and kind of wake it up and so what you have are these communities of awake light people who are free now to to not be versions of themselves that are just mere sort of shadows of who they actually are. Hello, friends. Welcome to Let's Give a Damn, the podcast that inspires and equips you to give more dams than ever before. We bring you amazing stories week after week of people from all walks of life who saw something wrong and gave a damn about it. I'm your host, Nick LaPara, and I'm very excited to bring you today's conversation. Every few weeks, I break from the normal conversations we have to bring you someone that I've asked to be on as more of a teacher, a sensei, if you will. My guest today is the weird and fantastic CJ Cassiata. CJ is my friend and a friend to so, so many. He is a writer and a media maker. He has spoken to communities like Lululemon, Salvation Army, TEDx, Charity Water. Additionally, he has partnered with MGM Studios, the United Nations Foundation, and many more companies and organizations like them on various types of projects. He's talented. He's great. CJ's message is compelling to me because he says the kinds of things I'm always saying, but in a different way, in a unique way. And I'm very excited to share that unique way with you today. I like his message a lot. From a very young age, we are told to stand in line, draw on the lines, follow the rules, be this way, do it that way, and CJ has a different message for you that I think you're going to find super, super compelling. In addition to me being excited about having CJ on the show, if you're listening to this on the day it releases, September 11th, then his book comes out today. If you're listening to this after 9-11, shame on you for not devouring this podcast every Tuesday right when it comes out. I kid, I kid. But seriously, his book Get Weird, Discover the Surprising Secret to Making a Difference is out right now. 15 bucks on Amazon, 10 bucks on Kindle, if that's your thing. We'll talk more about it during our conversation and after our conversation. Okay, enough chit chat. Are you ready to get weird with CJ Cassiata? Let's do it. Here we go. We have a lot to talk about. So, um, we've got a book to talk about. We have so much to talk about. You, you, I think, have a special message for damn givers. And so that's part of the reason why I'm excited to have you on. And we're going to talk about your book. Before we get to all that, I like to start, I usually like to begin and end my conversations the same way on the podcast. The first part is I want you to give me the who's, what's, and when's of your life. Give, give me the people, places, and things that shaped and formed who you are today, because I think that most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time that gives us an insight into what you're doing today, you know, a lot of times. Okay, the people, places, and things. Well, the people would be Jim Henson, Mr. Rogers, and Walt Disney. The place would be Long Island, New York. And the things would be those, those things that have kind of been rumbling in my uh, soul since I was a little kid, the imagination mm. that I just can't shake. Um, 
and and really tried to for a good amount of time, but at some point just stared at it, you know, right in the middle of 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 the eyes and went, no, we gotta we gotta live out of that place. We gotta live out of that childlike wonder. And so hmm. those would be my people, places, and things. You said Long Island, New York, is where you were born. That's where I was born. Yep. Mom, dad, were they in the pic? Like, what, what did that? The siblings? What did that? Yeah, look my like? mom and dad were in the picture. I have a um, an awesome younger brother named Kevin. I've got a uh, a younger sister named uh, Amy and yeah we were just kind of street warriors in in Long Island New York <laughs> where I was just kind of cruising on my little 10 speed hammerhead bike you know down to the the, the corner drugstore and I mean it really was your sort Very of quintessential oh man it was like a Norman Rockwell painting yeah and then we moved when I was about 10 or 11 to the suburbs of New York it was kind of like um apple picking country and my dad still worked. My dad worked in downtown New York and Manhattan, and so he still commuted there. But but we left kind of the sidewalks for uh, more rural kind of country, and that that really sort of messed with me <laughs> for you know for a while. I, I I it was just really interesting to go from sidewalks to no sidewalks to be able to literally just walk or ride my bike down to my best friend's house to not only not having best friends <laughs> anymore because they were you know an hour and a half sure. away, but not having um, transportation and access to get to them. So that kind of made my sort of naturally extroverted self a little bit more introverted and um, and just strange and weird, I think. But I ended up going to uh, Los Angeles for college after I graduated high school, mm-hmm. and that was a really good sort of re-entry, I think, into <laughs> community and uh, people who just sort of kind of thought and... Um, dream the way I did. And so that was that that was really fun. That's a pretty significant place too. It's where I met my wife. It's where I had my my first kid. And so now we're in we're in Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah, what what caused you to come to Nashville from LA? So you 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 hit kind of a lot of the big cities, I right? Did, like yeah. I mean New York and LA are it, know, right? Those I are know. these cities. I'm right in the middle and so now. now you yeah, you came to Nashville. Why? Yeah, I think we keep calling it L.A. for families. I love that sure. we can go and grab a great meal, grab a great drink at the top of the Thompson Hotel, go see an awesome band play, and then come home by like 11 o'clock and <laughs> do it all again the next week. You know, when we where we were in uh, Southern California, we were about a good 45, eh, maybe like only 20 to 30 miles away from downtown L.A., but as you sure. know... Yeah, that can take you two, three hours. Yeah. And once you have kids, it's just harder to sort of, you know, get out and do that kind of stuff. And so we love the fact that we have a little bit of space, a little bit of room, great place to raise our kids, but yet we're still connected to what they call the third coast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not New York, not L.A., but Nashville. I like it. I like it. When we were briefly chatting about our conversation, the direction we wanted to take, you shared a quote with me in the email. I'm going to turn my laptop your way. <laughs> I'd like for you to read it because I think, not that you couldn't say it, you're going to say it in different ways sure. because you have, I think, a very again, a very unique message for people. But I want you to read it um, because I think it will give us a really good framework, a really good lens to look at the rest of this conversation through. I forget what um, this is. I'm going to have to do this. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. Just, Here we go. Oh, yeah. Okay. So my friend, Bill Moyers. my friend sent me this this uh, quote by uh, this journalist named Bill Moyers, uh, who he was asked, you know, how do you do what you do? How do you see all the stuff that you see, all the problems in the world, and reporting it 
And so he goes, for now, I'll just say that I owe what sanity that remains, what hope I have to acts of imagination mm. inspired by others. Think about what we learned from Vaclav Havel and Lech uh, Walesa. Uh, when few believed nations in the Soviet orbit could free themselves from its heavy gravitational pull, they imagined a different Czechoslovakia, a different Poland. Think of Nelson Mandela and Desmond Tutu. When even our own American government was supporting apartheid in South Africa, they imagined something different. Abe Lincoln imagined the end of slavery and the preservation of the Union. Teddy Roosevelt imagined victory over the money trusts. His cousin Franklin imagined a new deal for people like my father. The philosopher and critic Theodore Adorno, after his own escape from Hitler's Germany, wrote about the power of imagination. In the face of despair, he said, you must try to contemplate all things as they would present themselves from the standpoint of redemption. This is not romanticism. It's not even idealism. It's our power to imagine alternatives and to wake up every morning to try to do something to bring them about. When I read that quote, well, I read it multiple times in a row <laughs> because that last, the, the, the examples that he gave, Nelson and Desmond and uh, Theodore and all, those are amazing. Those very good parallels that he drew there in his example. But then when he ended with, it's not romanticism, it's not idealism, it's our power to imagine alternatives. Yeah. That, that's it. Yeah. Right? Like being able to imagine what could be and then just hauling ass to make it happen. Yeah. I mean, and it's super humbling when somebody, you know, takes a year's work of your work <laughs> writing a book and just kind of puts it into a couple of paragraphs like that. And I'm like, well, he said it way better than I could. But he's Bill Moyers and he's his veteran reporter. So. I gotta, I gotta just not do the comparison game when it comes to that. But yeah, I mean, really, if if you want to know what the the book in particular is about, it, it's it's those couple of paragraphs just sort of expanded upon, not as eloquently as him. But well, yeah. we're gonna no. I think I think you're you're underselling yourself. There's, <laughs> I think there's a lot more where that came from. Like, yes, he did distill so many thoughts in that one paragraph. But you're calling people to be weird, calling people to be themselves, which is weird is a really beautiful message that I think is gonna help us. I, I was actually, the other day, I came across a, you know who Chase Jarvis is? Yeah. Yeah, so he tweeted this video from a talk that he gave, and I thought it was really, again, just another way of looking, before, before we get to you explaining your version of this, again, which is just beautiful, and I've always admired it since we've known each other two or three years, like I just think it's, I, I'm all in, I'm really all in. Here's another way of looking at it, and I, I thought it was worth sharing just because of who Chase is and what he's done. His call to action on this particular thing is really interesting as well. So I'm going to try to play this through here. I think it'll we'll see if this we'll see if this works. But here's a sad story that if I if, if this is one massive third grade class, and I say who wants to come up on the stage and draw me a picture, you know how many hands goes up? Every fucking one of your hands goes up. You're like. And then you ask that same question at grade six, you know how many hands go up? Half as many. And you ask them when they're 12 and when they're 15 and when they're 18, by the time they're 18, there's two or three hands that go up. So this is not something that is trained into us. It is something that we are training out of us. The big C is this. The biggest problems that face our planet today, the biggest problems that face our species will be solved with creativity. The machines cannot solve the problems without us. 
So again, I, I, I listened to that and I was like, yes, that is what CJ's advocating for, right? Absolutely. That's yeah. it, is that I already, I have three kids, you have two. two, and I can already, even at four, five, and six, I can already see them, hopefully it's not because of anything I've done. God help me if it's something <laughs> that, I, that I'm doing, uh, whether subconsciously or consciously, but I can already see them shedding some of that because of what they're seeing and experiencing in the world. I can already see some of that imagination, some of that creativity uh, go away as they meet realities in the world. Yeah, my six-year-old daughter sold this, and so we we just read that we just read that Bill Morris quote. We just w listened to the Chase Jarvis thing. Talk to me about it, weirdos, misfits. What, what are you about and what are you getting at? What would you love to see happen in the world? Yeah. And you know, you, you said the word reality, they're encountering realities. I would say that they're countering uh, falsehoods. They're countering mm. uh, uh, what, what is real is that for whatever reason we are in pre-installed pre with this imagination, with this ability to, to uh, think differently, think weirdly, think uniquely, whatever you want to call it. And we just do that on purpose for no apparent reason from as, as early as we can remember. No one needs to tell us to do that. No one needs to tell us, hey, you know, you need to imagine monsters underneath your bed or, um, you know, this, this flying car that you've created. It's like we do that without really being told why or uh, how to do it. And at some point, like Chase said, I, I say that the, the phrase is like, we get the weird kicked out of us. <laughs> Someone mm. or something, you know, it could be a bully, it could be a, a parent, it could be a coach, uh, it could be a teacher looks at our unique and weird imagination and goes, you know, that, that's actually not important. That's not going to get you ahead in life. That's not necessary. So sit down, shut up, and start conforming the patterns. Start checking out boxes or checking in boxes and start literally fitting in. And so my whole journey has been this sort of adventure <laughs> to uncover that kind of sacred, imaginative kid that once was and step outside of those boxes. Start coloring outside the lines, you know, getting outside of the grid and seeing what else is out there. And I want that for my kid and, you know, my, both my kids now because um, we just had another one. Um, I want that for, for my kids too. Public school system. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. That's right. Um, that example comes to mind because both of my girls right now, just because of where we are and what we're doing and what we're involved in, they're both part of the public school system. Um, as you know, and I know, and many people know, the public school system was created to churn out factory workers, right? compliant, obedient factory workers that would obey every command and would stand here and do that at this time and then do the other thing at the other time. And that's not what it's for anymore because kids go on to do a variety of things but that this idea of like everyone learns the same kinds of things you have to take the same test you have to get a certain score you have to do all these things during a day that every kid i have three kids you have two you're as you now have two you're going to start seeing how these are two children that we created my wife and i they are nothing alike right i have three kids that are nothing alike and yet they spend all day together. Wouldn't it, make, wouldn't it make kind of sense that they would do kind of the same things? No, they're completely different. And so I bring this up because you mentioned your kids and I was hoping you would, because I, I want to know, uh, I had it for later in the talk, but let's do it now. Like <laughs> I, I wanted to know, how do you do this with your kids? So kids, let's talk about kids because it's a lot easier for children. If we can, if we can communicate this to children, mm -hmm. 
and they can really harness it throughout their lives, they're much better off than trying to undo a bunch of shit that a lot of adults have learned, right? Like that's easier yeah. to help them. So how do we do this with our kids? Well, the problem with, you said, you know, you mentioned you've got, you know, three kids and they're all different from each other. Well, the problem with, with, with uniqueness is that you can't control it. <laughs> and so the, the public school system for, for all of its benefits and all of its victories, like you said, it, it's, it's created under the, the, the reality that we need to, to control human nature. We need to control uh, society. But in that, it hasn't really done a wonderful job of figuring out how is Sally different from John and how is John different from Peter. And when we can start to figure out some systems that allow for that kind of uniqueness and creativity to um, not only emerge but really cultivate, then all of a sudden, I think you're going to start having a, a culture and a society that um, matches the needs of our world as our world continues to move forward, both uh, technologically um, and societally. And so part of what we're doing kind of out of the the, the, the manifesto that is this book, out of kind of the heart of this book, is we're, we're creating curriculum that we're, we're selling and in some sense is giving away to underprivileged schools mm. that teach kids uh, how to use their unique imagination and then how to collaborate with their peers who are also weird, who are also unique, so that together they can create the difference that Bill Moyers and Chase Jarvis is actually talking about. And so we're doing a Kickstarter in uh, November. So everybody who's listening, watch out for that. And uh, this is the only time I'll plug my own no, sort of it. email list or whatever. But if you no, go to cjcas.com and you just do one of the gazillion you know, ways to, <laughs> to type in your email address, do that because that's, um, that's going to be the best way for me to, to reach you and say, hey, it's time to actually put your money where your mouth is, quote unquote, give a damn and give to this cause. So let's talk about your book for a little while. I sure. know you have been in, in the concepts that you've been discussing already, but your book is coming out, Get Weird, Discover the Surprise and Secret to Making a Difference. Um, let's give a dammers are difference makers. I could I could spend the next 20 minutes sharing the stories that I've heard back of people that have you know joined our cause, our family as it were, and have and gone out and done really amazing things and are doing amazing things, right? So they are difference makers. They want to make a difference. And this concept can change their lives, yeah. I think. So tell us about the book. Why did you make it? Why did you write it? Who did you write it for, yeah. right? Like what's, who is your main, um, there are many different ways that this could hit, <laughs> hit people. Um, and who's your like prime target when you write this book and put it out into the world? Well, well going back to that idea that uh, imagination is not just idealism and it's not hopeless romanticism. I am two of those things. I am a hopeless idealist yes. and a romantic. But I talk about Don Quixote in the book and there are so many people who read uh, Cervantes' work, Don Quixote, even literary scholars who go, okay, uh, really what this is about is just the the slow and painful death of the hopeless idealist and somebody who's so sort of uh, set in stone with their beliefs and will not concede to the reality of, of modern times. I don't see it just as that. Hmm. Don Quixote is not just this loser. He's not just this failure. He's also a hero. We all, he is the subject of this book. And 
um, you know, there's there's a line in in Cervantes Don Quixote where you know somebody's pushing Don and he goes, "Hey, why? Like, why are you doing this? Like, come on!" And he goes, "You know what? Maybe, maybe the the most insane thing to do right now is to not be a little bit mad. Is to not actually practice some madness. Is to to see things as they are and not as they could be." Mm. And you asked me who I wrote this book for. Well, number one, I wrote it for my daughter. That was kind of the thing that sort of was in front of me the whole time. But I really wrote it for the Don Quixotes of the world, Mm. the Robin Hoods, the outlaws, the outcasts, the outliers who feel like there is no sanctuary for them but yet cannot shake this belief and this feeling that something is wrong with the world and they just might have the power within their imagination to bring about incremental or massive change. Mm. And so I wrote this as sort of a, a, a you know, <laughs> 200 and something page pep talk for them to go, not that you're not crazy. There's a lot of people going, oh, no, you're not crazy. You're fine. You know, I always get a little worried when people say that because like, you know, usually that means you are. Yep. This book says, yes, you are crazy. Yep. And that's on purpose. Yep. And I think you should do something about it. I love that. <laughs> I, I resonate so deeply with what you just shared. So, Here's a thought that comes to mind, something that I want to work out with you here based on this. So you, you just described me and a lot of people that I know. I'm a planner. I'm a structured person. Not, hopefully not like bad, like, like unhelpful amounts of structure, but I, I like to plan things out and I need to know where I'm going and all of that. Is there conflict between being a crazy, weird misfit person like can can those both live in the same world and how would one kind of like work that out like between like being yeah just really working out my inner uh and outer weirdness while also realizing that like we've got a plan and we've got to save and we've got to do all these things right like what is what what does that look like does that make sense no it absolutely has and and i've done a lot of these podcasts around this book and i haven't gotten that that question before i think it's a really good question worth exploring First of all, I, I think for for multiple reasons, we live in such a freaking binary culture right now where it's got to be structure against creativity and chaos, or it has to be left brain versus right brain, or it has to be, you know, Republican versus Democrat, yep. or, you know, and, and I, I think that's just all a bunch of, a bunch of BS. Like, you, obviously, kids need, but part of the reason why people kind of shy away, especially in the educational system, from talking about feelings and creativity and imagination is because like, ah, kids need structure. And I'm like, yeah, that's absolutely true. Like you can, like, I'm trying to raise my children with an immense amount of structure, but also within that structure, give them the ability to imagine and, and think outside the box and color outside the lines. And so the problem, <laughs> if you really want to get super philosophical but very relevant at the same time is our entire culture is, is on one side of something or the other. And real yeah. life doesn't quite work that way as no. we know. And so, yeah, some of the most brilliant creative minds that you and I both know, they had freaking routines. You know what I mean? Yep. They were structured. They thought through things. And so for me, what and I can only give from a practical standpoint my own – sort of journey and in, in methodology. Um, and it's something I still kind of work through because all of us, you know, creative people, we just want to be dreaming and writing and yeah. drawing monsters when we should be paying attention all day long. Um, but for me, like, it sounds so stupid, but I have to, like, sit down 
with my Google Calendar, and if I want to accomplish a project or if I know I have um, a client that I'm dealing with and I also need to get this you know, personal passion project thing done or whatever it is, because you know, we live in those both non-binary world all the time, I've just got to literally get out of my head and sit down at my calendar and, and just start to calendar things out. Okay, so Thursday I have to do this. Um, actually, and then Friday I've got like 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. currently open. I'm just going to put that for this project. And then I've got to do that three times. And oh, look, and if I do that uh, three times and then three weeks, I'll actually have this finished project. And again, that sounds so incredibly simple, but, but you, for me personally, I get so overwhelmed if I don't literally like, write something down and kind of project into the future a little bit. But every time I do that, I go, all right. It's accomplishable. I can do this. I can actually do both things, but I need to, I need to create structure for myself. If every, that's a great answer, by the way, I really, I, I love that. I'm going to go read, listen to that and make sure that I'm, <laughs> that I'm on that path. If every weirdo misfit and make believer lived this out every, and we're talking everybody that is like this and they fully embrace it and they run with it. What does the world look like? If that happens, if you get to accomplish your wildest dream and this book gets put into the hands of every child and adult in the, you know, every school gets the, your curriculum, all that. If in your wildest dream, what does the world look like? Yeah. What, what, what are we doing better? Well, so first of all, I, I would say that sometimes living out of your weirdness and your unique identity um, looks sometimes like following somebody else's wildest dream, which I know is not a sexy message at all. And many times it's not. But if everybody, what I don't want to spread is the message of everybody needs to quit their job and do something super creative. Absolutely. And just like, I don't, because yep. I, I, we, we, what, what it looks like are communities that are actually vibrant and uh, generative and are creating love and impact and beauty in the world. When, when you start to live out of your own weird, strange, unique identity there's something really really generative about that where all of a sudden i see you doing that and i go gosh i really want that mm. i really want that and the force that you sort of project out there into the universe where you know and, and, and the, the the kind of the light and the aura around you when you're living at when you when you're inside is actually on the outside when, you're, when your soul and when your identity where your uniqueness is actually living on the outside then all of a sudden that that has the ability to sort of connect with my soul and kind of wake it up and so what you have are these communities of awake light people who are free now to to not be versions of themselves that are just mere sort of shadows of who they actually are. Speaking of awake, light people, you mentioned three at the beginning. Walt <laughs> Disney, Jim Henson, Mr. Rogers. Mm. Talk to me about them. Why them? You obviously know them very well because you didn't have to think about that. When I said who, yeah. those were the three that came up. It could have been parents, your neighbor. It could have been anybody. And you mentioned those three Talk to me about that. What, what is it about them? Either distinct things between the three of them or things that they all had. Yeah, I mean, they all had, so I write about all three of those in, in, in the book and um, they all had this ability 
to stay connected to whatever 10-year-old version of themselves uh, was. And, and what I, I find fascinating is that, you know, it wasn't like all of their childhoods were rosy and perfect. You know, they, they had, the, they dealt with stuff, you know, like, uh, like most of our childhoods, like we're not, you know, I don't think a lot of us listening would be like, oh, wow, that's really easy for you to say, CJ, maybe you had a great childhood and the worst thing that happened to you was that you went from sidewalks to no sidewalks. Well, sure. maybe then I'd be living out of my 10-year-old self too, but my 10-year-old self got abused or uh, my 10-year-old self, you know, um, didn't have a, a father figure or a mother figure, whatever it is. Yep. Um, and I would say to those people, A, I'm sorry, uh, and, and B, um, there is a moment in time, you might not even remember it, but I promise you there's a moment in time um, where you existed purely for um, the sake of someone's delight in you, hmm. you know? And uh, so someone looked at you, and you know how I know that is because you can't put a, a baby, an infant, <laughs> out into a parking lot or a sidewalk or a restaurant and not have somebody just take utter delight in them mm. simply because they exist. Mm. John O'Donohue would say, you know, there's a place in your soul that's never been wounded. And I would call that your inner child or your soul mm. child. It's beautiful. And so it's there. And again, I would just invite anybody listening to, to join me on this sort of messy, wonderfully strange journey of reconnecting with that that inner child that, that, that I, I call it the sacred weird, but that thing that's buried deep within your soul that no one can touch. No one can harm. And so it's a very long way of saying there was something about these guys who I think found that really early on and just sort of ran with it. And it didn't mean that life was perfect for them or uh, they didn't come into to struggles. I mean, D Disney, oh my gosh, like, First of all, Henson was like a freaking millionaire by the time he was 21. I mean, it's insane. It's really frustrating <laughs> to, 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 to study Damn him. You're you. like, dude, did you ever do anything wrong in life? And then, but he was very artistically um, challenged and artistically unhappy because he was always wanting to do the next thing. He didn't mm. like that he got pigeonholed uh, for doing Sesame Street because his mind was just way out on the outskirts of the universe. And people kept on trying to put him into a box. Disney just was, you know, on the brink of bankruptcy his entire life like everything he did he poured that money into the next project and then the next project you know he was, was leapfrogging every project yes no white was a success but i think pinocchio was not or i'm probably butchering that but you know what i mean like, there yeah, was yeah, every other, totally like, roy yeah, yeah. uh a lot of people know this but roy disney was his, was his brother he was like the accountant mind he was the guy who tried to keep walt on track as much as he could but even that was kind of a weird relationship because oh, like, i'm sure i remember when when they were building disneyland walt really wanted like actual gold uh parapets whatever it's called like the thing on the top of the um castle and yeah Roy's like no it's a fake castle yeah. no one's gonna care you know put some spray paint on the metal so uh walt sent him on like an international trip to like, go somewhere to do something and while he was gone he bought real gold and <laughs> up there so anyway his his uh, dedication to quality was just uh unrelenting but yeah, those those would be I think the qualities of, of those guys. And and then, but on the on the total opposite end of the spectrum, you had Fred Rogers, who really almost purposely didn't have a a sensibility for 
hyper quality. You know what I mean? You look at that set. You look at Mr. Rogers set. Very I mean, the, simple, the poor guy is like kind of rickety. Yeah, did, you, did you ever get like an intern to like, you know, go down and like press the trolley coming in? Like you every episode he's like, oh let me just put my hand out of frame and like <laughs> press the button for the trolley to come. I'm like, Fred, you've been at this what for 30 years? Like you yep. don't have a volunteer yep. to go in and press a freaking button. But yeah. he did he didn't care because his yeah. whole message was uh, about um helping kids exist in reality but also recognize that they have this wonderful ability to make believe and so i kind of think looking back on it that that fred would actually press the button and make that kind of known because he didn't want kids to think that it magically appeared like he wanted it but he did want them to experience this world where we can make buttons and press buttons and you know create characters and literally make believe you know yeah. and so kind of the opposite of disney he really didn't care too much about you know how things look aesthetically but he was deeply 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 um concerned with the impact of his message almost to an obsessive point these three men have left us who are some living examples of this that we can uh look to today people we can observe so maybe somebody is you know there's obviously a lot that we could look at from fred and you know sure. there's things we can find but who are some living examples in your mind um people that we can look to and say wow they're they're really being their misfit make-believe weirdo self <laughs> and they're making a difference because of it they're actually changing the world yeah uh gosh there are so many that come to mind who've inspired this book. So I talk about my, my buddy, uh, Rob Morris, who um, started this thing called Love 146. Mm. And he travels all around the world. He was the one who, who gave me the Don Quixote quote. He goes all around the world. And, you know, he's just a normal, regular guy. But he goes around helping, um, helping survivors of sex trafficking. Mm. And, you know, you're not supposed to say that, you're rescuing these people because they don't they're not being rescued they don't need to be rescued they're uh, they're survivors you know but he will help sort of facilitate uh, instances where they can be free from their captives and live these whole healthy lives and it's it's totally dangerous but he's living out of this idea that he can't shake that the world shouldn't have <laughs> this in it and he's literally crossing borders and you know, helping these people uh, however he can. Uh, another good friend of mine, Brad Montague, uh, who he does a, a bunch of wonderful creative projects. He, he did something called Kid President a while ago, mm. which, which became very, very uh, well-known. But he's done so many other things from YouTube videos to books to uh, illustrations uh, that really kind of put this message out there and, and uh, are sort of expressions of his unique, weird, <laughs> wonderful self. <laughs> Again, we would be here all day, but my friend Sam White, who's this wonderful woman out of Detroit who started Shakespeare in Detroit, mm. uh, where you know she realized that she grew up in Seven Mile, by the way, and her mom made her read Shakespeare as a kid, and she fell in love with Shakespeare, and she went, okay, well, we gotta, if, if Detroit's gonna be this thriving city once again we have to inject arts back into the neighborhood so she just started detroit's first shakespeare company and they would play 
these shows in abandoned recycling centers and city parks and she'd be knocking on doors and getting people out of their houses to, to, to see this art and to see what she's done just grow has been incredible. My buddy Brandon Stepp in uh, San Diego, California, he was this freelance audio engineer producer. He had these, these inner city kids coming to, uh, you know, just walking by the neighborhood and he would work out of his garage so the garage door would be open on hot summer days. And the, the kids would would kind of peer in and they'd be like, hey, you know, let me, I, I want to be Jay-Z, record me, record, you know. And he'd go, well, tell me about your grades. How are your grades? Where he very, very like, nobody would have, would have you know, given him uh, any flack for going, hey, kid, get out of here, scram. I'm sure, trying to totally. do my work. But he goes, hey, well, you know, what are your grades like? And kids go, well, they're not good. He said, okay, make a deal. You bring me a good report card. I'll give you an hour of studio time and I'll record you. And that's grown into this thing called the David's Heart Foundation, where he literally has like you know hundreds of kids coming into the state of the art studio that they've now built. They get grants from Sony and Panasonic, and they teach them media skills. And so you got these kids who go to these high schools in the inner city, now graduating from those high schools with like actual skills that they can use <laughs> in the real world, like how to produce and edit video, how to produce and edit music and, and audio, and. He's doing that all, and it all just started from a choice to either, to your your point um, for everything that you do, either just to kind of go along with the status quo or or give a damn. Yeah. Give a damn about these kids who uh, were inconveniently presenting themselves literally right outside his front door. Yeah. For those listening, I'm going to link to everyone that he, that CJ just shared about because those are all, I know most of the people that he just shared. I don't of them or know them. And those are beautiful examples of people mm. that are currently, uh, yeah, they recognized the misfit, weirdo, make-believe yeah. nature of who they are. And they're working it out in such beautiful and, ways. And I want to say this too. Like there's a, a thousands more who we haven't heard of and I haven't heard of. Yeah. And they're they're living their life and they're they're doing their weird helpful thing in obscurity either on purpose or not yep. um, and so those are my real heroes the ones that don't care about accolades or yep. um, you know who sees them or not they're just kind of these secret sort of detective superheroes you know i i, I say that misfits are busy trying to get into the small of fame <laughs> i love it the small thing. Small thing. I'm that. just trying to get into the small No, I, I, I say that all the time with the kinds of conversations we have. Like, yeah, it's been great to talk to Chelsea Clinton and Rain Wilson and Nora Tagore and all these amazing people. Lots more amazing people to come, right? They have a big platform, a lot of influence. But really, and I mean this genuinely from the bottom of my heart, my favorite conversations are the ones with people that no one's ever heard about. Because oh, yeah. they're doing it. Not, not that Chelsea's doing it for accolades and recognition, but it, you, it, you look at a person like Rain that. certainly is. Yeah. Oh my gosh! No, I'm just, just joking. But but you look at them and you're like, oh, they, well, they should be doing something with their influence, right? It's almost yeah. incumbent upon them to do something. These other people, they're doing it regardless of whether anyone ever recognizes it or not. The com- yeah. the podcast coming out this week with this when we're recording it tomorrow, Kara Bryant with Chicago, Illinois Village Leadership Academy, uh, like. She's doing it every single day, day in and day out in Chicago. And yeah, most people are never going to hear about Kara Bryant. You it's know? amazing how much you can get done when you don't care who's watching. <laughs> Hell yeah. I had a, a, a buddy, uh, he, oh, I, I still have him. He's a great, great friend. His name's Steve. And 
you know, I was writing some stuff a while ago. This was before the, the book was coming out. And, but I was talking about movements and, you know, some of these people that I, I just mentioned, you know, he texts me and he goes, man, I think that's great what you're doing. And I, I'm still, I'm still trying to find my movement, but I will one day. And I was like, dude, what are you talking about? So this buddy, my, my buddy, Steve, when uh, me and my best friend, uh, Aaron, were, were both married, we, we kind of connected with Steve and he became like the, the, the third of like the three amigos. And we would hang out all the time, but he would always be bringing these dates, you know, to us and everything. And we we're just like, dude, like she has crazy eyes. Like you need to watch out for that. Like that's not a good, <laughs> like this may be a short term thing, but this is not a long term solution, you know, because you, you can tell. And one day he tells us about this woman that he met who they had actually went to high school together and they reconnected years and years and years later her husband had passed away really suddenly leaving her with three girls and steve has now like adopted these three girls they're married now it's mm. like the real life full house i mean I'm, what i'm describing is actually he's legitimately uncle jesse and um they've got three blonde girls and to watch him go from sort of this like bachelor that kind of didn't you know just was really just freewheeling in so many ways to the choices and the sacrifices he's made stuff that I won't even talk about on this podcast, but stuff that only he knows the, the, the decisions he made yeah, to sure. treat um, their mom with respect, to treat them with respect to, and then since then, you know, now they all live together and they're one happy family, but the stuff that the, the way he does homework with them and takes them to their soccer games and cheers them on. And, and is this really present male, figure in their life it's unbelievable so it's like steve like what what the hell are you talking about <laughs> like your movement like those three girls are your movement yeah. and you're 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 kicking butt when it comes to that yeah and so i just again i get really passionate about hoping that people understand that the power to literally change things for the better the the power to imagine what your world could be like and then go create it like bill moyer said is literally right outside your front door. It's beautiful. Okay, we're going to begin to wrap things up. A couple questions cool. left. This one has a hypothetical part to the question. Someday you're going to die. Hopefully it's many, many years from now. But the hypothetical part is that I've been asked to give your eulogy. So everyone's there. Your wife, your kids, their kids, uh, their spouses. All the, So many people that you've been able to influence through through your work, through your books, through your the curriculum, everything that you've built with Get Weird and so much more. Everybody's there and they're waiting on me to share words about your life and legacy. What would you hope that I would say on that day? Yeah, you know, I would hope that I had lived a life where people felt so welcome and free to be themselves that that time of sort of remembrance felt a lot more like a celebration of mm. them than of me i'm gone i'm done I'm, 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 you did your thing you know i did my thing and so i think the greatest you know the, the couple of funerals I've, I've been to you know the, the greatest ones are full of these stories that are about the guy or the woman, but really they're about the people who they've touched and inspired. So, yeah. That's beautiful. Because re really, I've been to 
far more funerals than I care to admit because life sucks. But I've been to some where people have to make shit up. They yeah. literally are. And there's not those people standing up saying, look how, you know, so-and-so changed my life. I went on to start this and do this. And I felt more free and more my true self and more my weirdo self. Like nobody can say that stuff. So they got to get up there and kind of hem and haw and make some stuff up. And, and that's, it's devastating. It makes the occasion all the more sure. like, ugh. Versus the scenario you just painted, where at some point in that in that uh, event, we're kind of forgetting about you, and we're getting wrapped up in everything that happened because of you. Yeah, that would be wonderful. It's beautiful. <laughs> I love it. Okay, this is your um, time to say anything you want to to the people in terms of what do you want them to go look for, read, order. What what, <laughs> what, what do you want them to go do? I mean, for, for everyone listening. You know, I wanted to have a chat with CJ, but part of it is because his book is coming out and I want to champion that and get that into many of your hands. And so, yeah, what do you want to, what do you want to share? What do you want people to go look at after this? Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny cause it's like, I almost feel like I have a, I'm like working for a nonprofit or something like that. Cause like, you know, what can people do to go and help? You know, it's like, go, go buy a book. Like yeah. literally, like it's a very clear yeah. call to action. It's 15 bucks. Do and it. you know, this, this is a. A movement in the sense of we want to get this message out there to as many people as possible so if you can buy two books and give one to a friend buy two books it's it's you know it's fifteen dollars so uh, go to getweirdbook.com and um, buy a book however you like it's on you know it's on ibooks it's at target it's in barnes and noble it's on amazon uh, so really whatever retailer you uh, you appreciate it'll be the <laughs> most do that and uh, the other thing I would say is get ready for um, really sort of the expression, you know, and I, I, I'm, I think Chase is great, so I'm not, I'm not picking on him. I'm sure you just no. paused it because uh, he, he probably had a, it was a full next, talk, right? next yeah. step, right? But, yeah. you know, I hear a lot of the problem. Kids aren't receiving this and they're not doing this. and they're not. So in, humbly, I would say I think we've <laughs> we figured out a couple of things and actually how to solve this problem um, where kids are going to school and they're not learning to embrace their unique creative self and they're not they're not learning how to express their feelings in positive ways which is what the arts and humanities does and so we all kind of scratch our heads and go well wow why are there all these shootings and why are all these you know uh cases of bullying and self-harm and well there's a lot of reasons but you know if you if 80 percent of schools are taking out the curriculum yeah that is designed since really the dawn of humanity, <laughs> you go back to Plato and Socrates and Aristotle, right. to instruct people how to express themselves in positive ways, then we shouldn't really be surprised at that. So all not to say, uh, this year uh, we're starting something. It's called Ringbeller. You can go to ringbeller.org. And it is a uh, nonprofit video series that we're putting in classrooms to help kids understand that um, their creativity has the power to change things for the better. I love it. I love it. Getweirdbook.com, ringbeller.org. And all these all these links will be in the show notes. Uh, CJ, thanks so much for joining us today. Dude, this was truly awesome. Thank you. You're doing awesome stuff, man. And I'm just humbled and honored to be a part of this community that you're building. Dear friends, thanks so much for listening in on my chat with CJ. Cassiata. I hope 
you've moved at least one step forward toward resurrecting your weird and make-believing self that I'm sure was once alive in you, but everyone around you told you to shape up or ship out. I know I'm ready to resurrect that weird self. Before I tell you how to get CJ's book, listen to this. Seth Godin, yes, that Seth Godin, has this to say about CJ's new book. Quote, reassuring, moving, and practical, this book will help you embrace the magic you've always had, end quote. Come on, people. If you need any more reasons to go get this book, go to shownotes.letsgiveadam.com. That's shownotes.letsgiveadam.com. Click on my conversation with CJ and click on the link in the show notes. It'll take you to the book where you can purchase the book. If you have any other author friends, you know it's important to make a splash on the first day and the first few days when a book comes out. So go buy it. Support CJ in this very simple way. And in return, it's not like you don't get anything. You get this amazing book full of tons of wisdom. It's a great, great read. It's been a while since I've asked you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you haven't left one, it's super simple. Go to iTunes on your desktop or Apple Podcasts app on your phone. It takes 30 seconds to leave a review and it means the world to me. It means a lot for our show. Also, if you want to help me cover the costs of making this podcast and if you want to help me make more, go to patreon.com forward slash let's give a damn. Patreon.com forward slash let's give a damn to learn more about how you can do that. Just this week, Willow Stevens from Los Angeles started supporting the podcast in this very way. Join her. Okay, let's wrap this up. This has been super fun. As always, this podcast was edited and produced by Chad Snavely. Our social media manager is Ashlyn Warchel. Can't wait to bring you another conversation next Tuesday with Lou Blaustein from The Big Apple. A great conversation with a fascinating individual. Friends, same time, same place next week. Until then, bye.